Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. So I say that my next guest is one of the most successful sports people this country has produced. She is a multiple Olympic gold medalist, a multiple world champion in her cycling pursuit. And thereafter, following her retirement, she began to turn her hand to all manner of extraordinary challenges. The first of which was to ride in the Cheltenham Fox Hunters with butter years riding experience under her belt. Everybody said that it couldn't be done, but she proved them wrong, as she has done everybody throughout her entire life and career. She has just returned from a period surfing in Costa Rica, her latest daredevil challenge. Last year, she attempted to climb Everest, which had some pretty significant consequences for her. She is one of the most interesting figures in sport, and I'm delighted to say she joins me now, Victoria Pendleton, CBE. Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Oh, thank you for having me. And great to have you back in the in the racing fold after what's been three years. I can't believe it's three years since Pasha de Polder in the Fox Hunters. No, I can't believe it either. Um, I... I'm really excited about going to Cheltenham to watch uh, to watch the Gold Cup day, the last day, and to see the Fox Hunters again. I wish I could go back and start from the beginning. I would 100% do it all over again, a thousand times over. I loved it so much. I mean, everybody said there was no way you could do it. Yeah. Even for all your dominance in your own sport, and a sport that has significant risk and significant danger and significant athletic prowess reply, uh, uh, required, <laughs> nobody thought that you could actually complete the, the, the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, I know, and it, I wasn't sure, to be honest, at the start. It was such an audacious challenge. You know, it was kind of, um, to even suggest it seemed ludicrous, but I loved every second of it. Within about 10 minutes of my first ever riding lesson, I was like, this is the most fun I've ever had. I knew instantly that I wanted to pursue it. When you look back at this, can you actually remember each and every part of the race, or did it go by in a blur? I mean, all races go by in a blur. The first time you ever race, they're going to like try and enjoy it because it's going to be a blink and it's going to be over because you're focused on what you're doing. Um, and there's certain parts of the race I remember, and I remember just really concentrating on my instructions, which were to sort of stay back, keep to the rail, horses tend to fall out from the rail, um, and then the race will open up and just give them a shout and a push. And that's what happened. I had no idea he was going to come so well at the end. If I'd known, I perhaps would have started a bit earlier. But, um, it oh, he's just so good. I love that horse so much. I, when I watch him, honestly, that was one of the greatest moments of my life, I can honestly say. I'm so happy. I can see you're reliving it all. You look there oh, in a state wow. of complete shell shock. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think I was. I mean, ultimately, I was like, I want to get round in one piece. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much about looking for a result. Ultimately, everyone wanted to me to be safe. And I was advised, you know, like, if you need to pull up, remember, you can pull up. And I was like, I want mm. to get round. I really want to get round. And uh, that, I mean, Pasha de Polder looked after me every step of the way. And it's about the horse and the right horse. And he was the right horse for me. You were playing quite a high stakes game because... You can't have been oblivious to the fact there were plenty of people saying she shouldn't be doing this. Oh, yeah. She's actually a danger not only to herself. To the but, rest of the field, yeah. But, but to everybody mm -hmm. else. How did you cope with that? Well, I made sure that I had the right people around me coaching and supporting me, having the right team in Yogi Breisner, in Paul Nichols, in Alan and Lorne Hill, who were the point-to-point -point crew that I was, was um, training with them. And I left it up to them to decide whether they thought I was ready for it. Mm. And... They're professionals. So if they just said, no, we don't think you're, you're competent right now, I won't ride. And I was very comfortable with that decision and, and letting them, between themselves, decide whether it was appropriate or not. Um, and there were some ups and downs, as there is with all manner of equestrian sport, um, in particular racing. 
but um, I was very pleased. I got 30 races under my belt before before Cheltenham in that year, and um, I was so fortunate to be able to ride. And I feel so blessed and so honoured that someone up there was watching me and got me round. And the fact that having the opportunity to ride a horse like Pasha de Polder, an absolute gentleman. I mean, I could school him in the fog with my eyes shut. Mm. He's He was very capable, very competent. He looked after me the whole way. So I I feel very blessed to have been able to enjoy a ride with a horse as, as wonderful as he is. To what extent did he and the whole riding experience fill a gap for you at the oh. time that needed to be filled? Because you retired in 13, mm-hmm. didn't you? From in 2012, immediately 12. after yeah, the immediately Olympics. After Olympics. Yeah. So 30, but what I mean is 13 was your first year where there wasn't much mm-hmm. happening apart from lots of media attention. Mm. Uh, in order to, to satisfy what you needed to do sort of physically and what you needed to do mentally, how, how much of a gap did he fill? Oh, the whole Cheltenham Challenge was such a blessing. Um, it gave me a structure to my day and I was really after sort of retiring from from full-time sport like having something to get out of bed for and mm. train for and focus on was something I really missed and I love having a challenge and I enjoyed every second of it and I was very willing to accept the risks and you know the injuries and everything that comes along with learning to ride horses as a small price to play for the joy of being able to to jump a horse over a steeplechase fence because there's nothing quite like it it feels like you're flying um, it's a not it's an honor I can't, ex- I can't even express really how it makes me feel. I could honestly be sick with the joy of it sometimes. Oh. Like I've eaten all the Easter eggs before breakfast. Um, it's just such a wonderful feeling. Feeling, I don't know, no- and nothing in my life has ever compared to it. Like having that, co- that partnership with a horse is something very, very special. It's magical. It's, it's otherworldly. You can't really explain it. It's... Um, it's something that sort of, it gets right into your heart. It's not something you just do like a sport and you train for it and it's fun, whatever. It's something that that connection with a horse is something that mm. is beyond words in many ways. Could you ever get that high, for want of a better word, when you were, when you were cycling? No, no not way. E- not even close. I mean, there's a, there's a sense when you achieve your goals and you're on the podium listening to your national anthem... It's a very, it's a wonderful moment and a, a very special moment, and you, you know, you feel it in your heart and your soul, and it's incredible. But riding a horse is very different. It's, it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like it's an extension of your body. It's incredible. I can't explain it. A bike is a machine, but a horse, that's another heart. It's a, something completely different. Without sounding too airy fairy, it's something very, very different. And I can understand why people are so passionate about racing and passionate about horses and training. And it's, um, it's difficult to explain unless you've done it. Mm. And if someone had tried to explain that to me beforehand, I, thought they were, I would think they were talking rubbish. You know? But now I completely understand and, and, and agree that it's something that, <laughs> something that doesn't really compare so special. When you were when you were cycling, did you experience significant adrenaline peaks and troughs, or did mm. you have to try and keep because you were a professional and you had so much pressure on? Did you just, did you have to try and keep it incredibly even? Yeah, I think because there was such high expectation of the performance of the team, we're mm. a very very successful team. There wasn't anybody on the cycling team who wasn't already an Olympic mm. champion or a world champion. You step up into that squad and you're like, wow, the pressure is on. So very much. It was all very expected, so the, the pressure and expectation was a load to carry. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to appreciate and enjoy your success when you kind of are expected to. 
because you'll always like, it's almost like, phew, got through that one. What's next? Rather than elation and joy. Whereas when you're riding a horse, you can't fully know or predict what's going to happen. My performances on the bike were calculated within a tenth of a second. Mm. On a horse, you're working with another brain there and it, you know, might not always go to plan. So it kind of alleviates that, that pressure and expectation in some ways because you can only do what you can do in that moment with the horse and hopefully you communicate in the right way. But it removed all the pressure. So when I went in to ride Cheltenham, of course I was nervous. I wanted to do a good job for everybody that had had supported me along along the way. But in some ways there was no pressure because it's like a partnership. It was only 50% me and 50% Pasha. So I was like, well, we'll just see how this goes. We'll do our best, take each fence as it comes, let the fence come to us, and whatever will be, will be. Of course, accompanying this journey was an enormous amount of attention, mm. an enormous amount of people like me wanting to ask you questions <laughs> and a- appearing on much greater television stages and having acres and acres of newsprint written about you and you were very accommodating you could do that but then when you actually went to the races you could see that intensity and focus (laughs) that only a top sports person has is that instinctive or do you find you can you can switch that button fairly easily between the two personae I think it's it's a trained skill so it's something that I've learned over the period of my lifetime in sport is learning when you go into that competition environment that you become incredibly focused and you just your blinkers are on you take in nothing except what is absolutely necessary. It's like you switch the volume off for that moment and, and focus on yourself because you have to, because you only have one chance to get it right. And that's because that's just purely practice over a lifetime of competing in sport. And I think many people saw my Cheltenham challenges un, you know, unrealistic without taking into consideration the mindset being a big part of it. Physically, quite a difficult thing to do. I'm you know, fit and I've got good balance, so that worked well. But ultimately, I think they underestimated the fact that I wasn't a novice going into this situation. I was someone who's experienced high pressure, high stakes um, many times before. But anyone who's read anything about you, anyone who's read your book, anyone who's followed your career, anyone who's seen what you've done since then, anyone who's read about some of the difficulties that you faced, Mm. knows that if you're one thing, it's someone for whom can't doesn't really enter the equation. Mm. Where did that come from? Where did that start? I don't know. Is it just something you're born with? It's an affliction. Um, Well, it is in a sense. Yeah, it is. I, um, I mean, a lot of people have kind of suggested it's probably down to... My upbringing, my dad's very tenacious and very strong and he's always like, you know, just get stuck in and do it. You can do it and hit, you know, be aggressive and push through a race and just kind of attack every challenge with everything you have. Um, some may say it's because I've got a twin brother. So I've always had a sense of competition in my life, like anything he can do, I want to do and I want to do it better. But I don't really know. It's almost like unfinished business. I have to keep pushing forwards. Two interesting things there. First of all, everyone knows that your dad was, you know, a, a go-getter. Yeah. Wanted you to, to succeed and, and was pretty ambitious. But 99% of people would have just dug their heels in at some point and gone the other way because we, we quite often react against what our parents want to do. Mm. But you would just go with it. Mm. Well, I rem- some of my earliest memories of watching my dad race on the bike, road racing or hill climbs, and... I was definitely, there was, he definitely made an impression on me in terms of how he would approach racing. He was always attack on the hardest part of the, the race. He would get stuck in at the, at the most brutal part. And I admired him for his sort of 
determination and tenacity. And that's something that I recognised very early on. I was like, I want people to view me when I turn up to a race like, oh, no, we're racing for second. I want to feel that. I want to be that kind of energy that people are like, oh, Victoria's here. Yeah, we won't win today. I wanted to be that person so desperately. Um, And... You know, people look at me and they underestimate me and I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And that's always been a huge drive. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really explain how I'm supposed to manage that because it lives with me still. I want to do more things, try more things, do more challenges. It's nonstop. Well, it's a constant level of management that you're going to have to apply <laughs> for the rest of your life, which we'll talk about in a minute. You mentioned your twin brother. Yes. When you were growing up, did he have the same level of application? No. <laughs> I mean, when we were kids, we always used to play a lot of sport together. So, like, if you were on the summer holidays, we're like, should we go and play tennis? Should we do this? Just get the baseball bat out and just play, you know, make up games and build tree houses. So, we always were very active and sporty. Um, but fundamentally, when we went to race at the senior level, so after age 16 mm. in cycling, you go to race with the seniors. So I had to race with the men. Um, he was like, no, nah, I'm not sure if I've, I really want this, to do this, because the training obviously had to go up a huge amount. But also you go from being the best in your category to being at the very, very back, struggling to hold on, which is really difficult when you're, when you're a kid, basically, mm. or a teenager. Going, having a, being constantly beaten easily um, week after week after week is difficult to take. It's difficult to swallow. But I just kept sticking with it and uh, I actually said I had a lot of help from the handicappers because some cycle racers are sometimes handicapped and they'd take mm-hmm. one look at me and they're like come forward a bit come yeah. forward and I'd be like and then I'd be racing for my life knowing I'd be chasing by a group of huge burly men who, who def- definitely don't want to see me win but um, it definitely helped me get on my way. Yeah I presume that spurred you on in itself. Yes being chased by a huge group of men with their elbows out um, I was like, yeah, racing for my life. You've you've touched on this twice already. It's quite interesting. You want people's perception of you to be slightly different to what you actually are, (laughs) and you've used that to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, potentially, yeah. I I would love to... You know, it's strange. I've been underestimated my entire life um, because of the way I look and come across and everyone thinks, oh, she's like, she's small and she's nice. And wow, you're a lot smaller in real life than, than you look on the television and just be like, OK, then less, less, less. And ultimately, all I want to be is more, more, more. In what way? Well, exceed people's expectations. I guess people do judge a book by its cover quite, you know, we try not to, but people do. And I think oh, it isn't possible. Well, just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it's not possible. So you had that determination that enabled you to do things yeah. like the, the riding challenge. Mm. And you've needed to keep finding replacements for that. Yeah. Uh, what's been the most fulfilling replacement for that thus far? Um, I mean, the whole Cheltenham challenge, I wish it could have carried on forever. I would love to be a jockey. In my next life, I want to be a jockey. Well, I did notice your Wikipedia page says Victoria Pendleton, jockey and former cyclist. Oh, does it? Yes, which I, which I oh, did have a wry smile at. Jockey and former cyclist. <laughs> yeah, that's gone first. I didn't realise. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I... If I was a bit younger, I would have loved to have pursued being a jockey. I would have absolutely loved to, because it, it just 
Oh, it's the most fun. But when you finished with that, why didn't you just carry on the next season? I mean, there's not m- m- many places someone of my experience and, should we say, age, can go, really, as an amateur jockey. I can carry on riding point-to-point, and I did ride point-to-point. Had a pointer, I bought a new one to, to ride, and that was fun. But ultimately, it's, um, it's a huge time commitment. And in order for me to own my horses and keep them, I need to work. So I was like, well, this is kind of, it's an expensive mm. hobby. So, it, unfortunately, financially, it didn't really make much sense. But the interesting thing is... <laughs> Self-evidently, there are 365 days in a year. When you were cycling, you were cycling 365 days of the Mm. year, pretty much all the time. Even if you are busy now, Mm. it's all a relative concept. Yes. And you are clearly not someone who takes very well to downtime. No, I'm horrible in downtime. So how now are you going to proceed and fill it? Well, I don't know. I'd still, as strange as this sounds, I still want to get up that mountain. Everest. Yes. So I think maybe I'll give it a year or so and... And maybe consider going for that again. I don't feel like my mountaineering is over. You were quite close to dying when you climbed Everest. I did suffer from hypoxia. But you were down at 20, 30% yes. ox- oxygen saturation. Yeah. Mm. And you're supposed to be at 90, well, anything below sort of 96 is a worry. Yeah, yeah. So it just the acclimatisation was, unfortunately, because the weather was so good, we had to cut about two weeks out of the preparation, which mm. doesn't sound like a lot, but is a, a massive amount in terms of adaptation and your body adapting to altitude. But the weather window was looking so good, we had to go. And the team, I couldn't keep up with the pace that they were acclimatising, so I had to step down. And it's unfortunate. I think with enough time and preparation, I would have been, I would have been OK. And I've spoken to some specialists since, and they, they agree with me. It was just a matter of time, timing. You've not reconciled yourself to this, have you? <laughs> it's the one thing in your life that hasn't quite gone... Well, I think... ..as you might have imagined mm, in terms of a physical challenge, in terms yeah, of a physical so challenge. Yeah, physically, in terms of my physical preparation, I was really happy with the way I was climbing and uh, with my speed through the icefall and things like that. I know it was it was in a good place, but just, unfortunately, when you, you, you were working towards a plan and it got changed at the last minute, you can't really do much about it. So it was more of a... It was more like the weather and the conditions mm. that, that kind of hampered me. And, you know, you have to take heed when those things happen. It's not, it's not winning or losing. That's life or death. But I definitely would like to, to try again. It, it, you've documented extensively that it's been an extremely difficult mm. year, 18 months for you. And that you've had to fight your mental health challenges, which is essentially have been rumbling away for most of yes. your life. Yes. But they've, they've come to a head. Do you think it's more because of the physical endurance of the Everest Challenge or more because the Everest Challenge didn't happen or it failed halfway mm. through that affected you? So it's been sort of well documented that a lack of oxygen in terms of suffering hypoxia, so swelling on the brain and a lack of oxygen, can cause, on, well, can cause sort of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result of the inflammation and the, the physical effects that it has on your body. But also I think I'd you know, had a lot going on in my personal life, um, getting divorced, so that was, that was also difficult, the Everest thing. Well, I was disappointed, but physically I came down with quite ill in terms mm. of chest infections and I couldn't get rid of them and I was on a heap of antibiotics and just everything in life overflowed. I reached that point where I just couldn't contain everything mm. and, and also just lacking a sense of direction and all these things, like what do I do next? 
it was just too much. And it got to a point where I felt helpless, which is was really difficult because I've always felt someone who's like someone who is very capable. I can do anything if I put my mind to it. You know, I've won Olympic gold medals. Why can't I just feel stronger today or more positive? But I just, you know, I hit rock bottom and it took a long while to get myself back together. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I have a lot of supportive friends and family around me. But it was strange because I think people didn't expect somebody like me to sort of to suffer that badly. You know, like everyone has down days, but this was this was quite this was quite serious and kind of debilitating. Because you've been so successful and because mm. you say you've been so determined, then suddenly the expectation changes, as you said, and everyone imagines that you're strong enough to, yeah. to push, push through, through. The, push, mm. push through these challenges. But when you're on your own, mm. you know, literally and figuratively, mm. it's an extraordinarily difficult place to be, whether or not you've had, you've had mental health challenges. Yes, it is. It is. And, you know, having the horses was a, a big part of my recovery, as mm. well as going surfing, which you mentioned earlier. So doing a, learning a new sport, having a new challenge, one that has a, a, a risk to it, has been kind of documented to improve resilience and improve mental health. So doing something that's slightly scary. Uh, and being in the ocean for me is I'm not someone who's spent a lot of time in the ocean generally. I don't really like swimming too much, I'm going to admit. <laughs> Open water swimming terrifies me. So um, being caught in a washing machine underwater in a wave set is quite scary. And that's the resilience that I think has helped me through. So I'm getting the feeling that you deliberately chose something you felt least comfortable <laughs> yes. with. I'm going to find what I'm most scared of yes. and challenge this fear. Yeah. And was that what drove you to do it? Yes. And you know what? When you're out there paddling uh, through a set, trying to get out back to catch waves and the waves just keep breaking and you, you just have to keep paddling and paddling and paddling, um, you're not thinking about what's going on inside your own head because it's survival. It turns into survival. Um, and that feeling of being focused on, on the one thing at that moment mm -hmm. is almost like mindfulness because you're not thinking about how you're feeling or how down you were this morning. You're thinking about, right, there's a wave breaking and I need to get over it before it breaks because otherwise I'm going to be, you know, yeah. underwater in a washing machine, not knowing up from down. It's funny because when a lot of people talk about mindfulness, they think of yoga, Pilates and <laughs> yes, whale music. Yes, yes. This is a slightly more extreme, <laughs> yes. extreme form of it. Yeah. The same when you're riding, when you're racing a horse, when you're galloping a horse, you're not yeah. thinking about anything else except what, what that horse could be looking at, the speed you're trying to maintain, um, the next fence potentially. You're just fully focused in that moment. And that's the beauty of it. I think there's a, there's a similar essence in both of those sports because nature is ultimately in control and you have to be very aware of your decisions made at that moment based on what nature is offering you, whether that's a wave, whether that's a racehorse. Do you feel more, more comfortable uh, alone with nature, if you like, mm. than you do surrounded by a room full of people with whom you have to make conversation? I think so. I think so. I've definitely, some, definitely been someone who's spent a lot of time outdoors my entire life, and I do enjoy that. Um, I do really enjoy being outdoors, working hard, whether I'm covered in mud, mountain biking, horses, um, just even like being in the garden. I know it sounds kind of a bit, it doesn't sound like the same pace of, of activities that I'm used to, but I like, yeah, definitely someone who likes to be, like to have my own space and time and uh, 
I think there's so much going on in my head sometimes. That space and time and nature is really important for me to just keep the balance. What point in your life do you think or do you hope, if ever it can be achieved, that you can reflect upon your incredible career? Because it was an mm. incredible career, no matter what you've done since, <laughs> with, with satisfaction, pride and just put it to bed. Oh, I don't know. Um... I constantly try and understand like what it is that makes me feel this way and want to keep pushing forward because it doesn't really make any sense. And it's very hard for me sometimes to um, relate to other people and especially relate to potentially other women my age because we are not in the same place. Um, because my mindset drives me to keep going for something that I mean, I don't need to prove myself. No. I don't feel I need to prove myself, but yet I still search for that next adrenaline rush, the thrill, whether that's, you know, at the moment, getting my motorcycle licence, whether it's something, it's got to be... I don't, don't laugh at me. <laughs> you know, I'm, just I'm mentally ticking off all in my I'm head. I'm having every... a midlife crisis. Is that what we're saying? I think I might be. Um, I definitely don't think you are. It's, it's simply always a question of trying to find the next thing isn't it to yes. find the thing that's going to challenge you and keep you keep you mentally in the place where you want to be i, I just want to enjoy every second that i've got on this planet i feel very lucky to have had the opportunities i've been given through my sport in cycling through giving that crazy opportunity to ride at cheltenham festival to climb mount everest i want to be someone who says yes please i want to give that a go regardless of the outcome because life is too short and would you be, rather be remembered like that than be remembered as multiple Olympic champion and Maybe, multiple yeah. world gold medalist? Maybe, I think I would. Somebody goes out and gives it a try. Because you've never struck me as someone who says, do you know I won X many medals or I won this no, many medals? No, no, you know, no, it's... You wear those quite lightly. I do. Um, yeah, I think it was... Um, it always felt like a stepping stone, and I know that sounds incredibly arrogant of me to say that those kind of successes in sport could be a stepping stone, but I always felt there was something more out there. And if everything happened in my cycling career to allow me to meet racing, it was worth it. And on that note, for the moment, Victoria Pendleton, yes. thank you very much indeed. I know you're going to stay with us because Tim and uh, Neil are going to come back and I'm, we're going to talk a little bit more about what horses might do for the rest of time. Because I know you've got a new horse, haven't you? I've got two, I've got two um, ex-National Hunt horses at home. I'm retraining them. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. 